Last week, we invited you to uh, pray. We spent some time and some lofty thinking around what prayer, what's actually going on with prayer, and then we invited you to pray. And one of the things we invited you to pray was on a couple of different things going on in our church, our space, uh, you know, our, um, our small groups, uh, our servants, you know, these, these things. We also invited you to lift up in prayer a very simple prayer. It's on the card that you've got. What I would like for you to do, and we, we, invite, we challenge you to set aside time. It's based on Ephesians 3.20. So we said, hey, every, every day at 3.20, would you just lift up, just be mindful of our community together, be mindful of what God is doing, and just lift up a prayer to God as a, as a discipline uh, for what God might do in our midst. And so 3.20 p.m. So what I want to do is I want to I confess and say that I, I, didn't, I didn't do that every day at 3.20, which I'm guessing as the pastor who came up with the idea, if I didn't do it, you probably didn't do it either. Anyone else? willing to confess? Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm, what I'd like to do is just, let's pull, if you've got a phone, pull it out, okay? This, I'm going to do this right with you. Um, if you're willing to do this, I'm going to, you know, you can set an alarm. I'm not going to do an alarm because I don't know where I'll be at 320, and that could be very embarrassing uh, if I'm in an important meeting or something. But I am going to set a reminder. That's what I have on my phone. They're called reminders. And because uh, I've got a little, a little iPhone here. I'm going to set a reminder, and you can actually set it. I'm just going to say pray, and I'm going to set a time. I'm going to make it, uh, see if I can do on a day, and I'm going to make it Sunday, and I'm going to remind me at a time, I'm going to make that 320 every day. Maybe you want to do a calendar event or something else, but I'm going to make it repeat. I'm going to make it repeat daily. So now I've got a prayer reminder every day at 320 for the foreseeable future. I'm going to turn it off eventually. Pray. Anyone else get that set out? That's what it'll sound like. Someone's phone's going off. Um, I really do challenge you just take a second, do that. It's really easy, um, and we can be praying together uh, this really simple prayer about how we're hoping God would do immeasurably more than we could ever think or imagine in our church, that we really would be a church that um, worships God and loves each other well and, and seeks justice for our neighbors, and that, that God would find and encourage and challenge us to use the ways in which we show up, our presence, right? You're here, and, and friends, I don't know if you know this, but the, you being here changes who we are. Maybe you don't feel significant at times. Maybe you don't feel like you make a big difference. Maybe even question the difference you're making, even if you're serving. But I'm saying you don't even have to serve. You don't have to give. You don't even have to pray. Just being here, your presence is significant, and it makes us a little different, and it's significant that you're here, and we're so grateful for that. But then also inviting you to pray, um, which we talked about last week, and today inviting us to what God, might God do if we surrender some of our resources, some of the things that God has blessed us with? What happens when we surrender those over to God's community? And what, what can happen when God uh, takes those? And then next week, we'll talk a little bit about what it means to serve, what it means to use our talents, but more than just our talents, our time and our energy and these sort of things that we have. Um, and so we're going to spend some time. And I, I thank you for being a church that's willing to join us on a prayer, um, uh, on a journey that's really kind of guided around prayer. I want to talk today about generosity, and we're going to talk specifically around this uh, this church word called uh, tithing. So, you know, uh, if you're a visitor with us today, you're in for a treat, huh? And uh, all of us, we just love talking about tithing, so you're welcome, friends, for this conversation. But no, I really, really we're a church, and people in our church, uh, many people in our church choose to tithe, which is giving 10%, and uh, we're going to talk about that, but really at the heart of it, I want to talk about generosity, and I was thinking about the, I was thinking about when I've experienced generosity, when I, in a way that changes me, and this story kept coming to mind this whole week, this, this really simple story, 
it might not even be labeled as extravagant generosity. It was very simple, but it kept coming to mind, so I'm going to tell it to you. I was uh, Previously, Alyssa and I were a part of a church in Athens. It's a, it's a central church and uh, is, is in uh, our, our parent church uh, that sent us here, and we, I was a pastor there, and so we had a couple different locations, and I remember this one location I, uh, at Central Venue. I, I walk in, and it's a reclaimed auto garage. It actually has a similar vibe as this space. It's just bigger. And uh, we walk in, and um, there's this guy who's a part of our church there. His name's Bruce, and he's just one of these souls that's just this beautiful soul. He's a singer-songwriter. Uh, he cuts his own firewood. I mean, he's just like, he's just a cool guy. And uh, he doesn't say much. He's very quiet. And people who are quiet... Um, in fact, I learned a lesson that one of the ways to be interesting is to not say much. And then when you do, people think it's interesting. I don't, I don't follow this rule. Um, I talk too much. But he's this kind of guy. He doesn't say a lot, but when he does, it's like, oh, that was really profound. He was, uh, he was in church, and I, I walk in, and I'm trying to figure out ways to spark conversations with people. And uh, he's standing there, and he's drinking out of a mug that he clearly brought. And it was a cool mug. I'm a, I'm a mug guy. I like mugs. I got too many mugs. I've kind of cut myself off on mugs. Um, you know, we only have so many cupboard space. Anyone, any other mug people are just like interesting mugs, right? This is a stainless steel coffee mug, but not like a tumbler, like a coffee mug, but stainless steel. It looked like stainless steel. And I was like, man, that's a really cool mug. And I tried to, you know, I was sparking, I was like, this is a cool mug. And I was sparking up a conversation with him. And the conversation ended and I went on and I preached a sermon and life goes on. And then one day, a couple weeks later, I'm at church, and he walks up, and I don't even think he says anything. If he did, it didn't matter, because he's just this kind of presence, you know? His presence is significant. And he walks up, and he gives me this little white box. And I'm like, okay. And I open it up, and inside is this mug. And I was just like, that was a completely random comment I made to you about liking your mug. And weeks later... He put in the effort, and I was thinking about this, like, why, why is that the story that keeps coming to mind when I think about generosity? Because it really probably didn't cost him that much, right? I mean, it's not a significant financial investment, you know? It was a little bit of a time investment, and I think it was a significant heart investment, and that's the thing that meant so much to me. This, one of the things that why, why I think this is so significant is it's entirely unnecessary, I don't know of a social rule where if you compliment somebody, they're expected to then give you the, the thing that you compliment. If that's the case, I'd be complimenting all of you about all of the things that you have. But that's not like there's no social expectation. So much I, and I say this because I think so much of what we give sometimes is social expectation. This is why, this is why some people really struggle with birthdays and Christmas, right? It's like this obligation. You can't not, you can't not get your kids gifts. Alyssa disagrees with that. We have an argument. Because she wants to break that social norm. Like, why give if it's, if it's an expectation? But there's something about this gift that was completely unexpected, completely unnecessary, frivolous. But there was this sacrifice of the heart. He was willing to think about me enough, with no obligation, to go and figure out where he had got it from and go to that link, I assume, because it came in a box, or maybe go to the store and buy it for how much it was. Remember to bring it, which is the most impressive thing. I can't remember to bring stuff at all, you know, anywhere. Bring it to church and give it to me and open it up. We're going to get in and talk about tithing. And one of the things that I've realized, um, one of the things that keeps us from tithing and giving is, is fear. But there's also this other thing at play. In our world, giving a significant amount of money to anyone 
especially the church, is seen as just unnecessary. We sat down with a financial advisor, which I don't, uh, which I recommend slash don't recommend, especially if you have a lot of student loans. So she, I didn't sit down with her actually. Alyssa did. She looks at all of our student loans and all you know our finances and you know our income versus debt and all this sort of stuff. And she's like, "Well, I think you're going to have to stop giving to the church until you get these student loans under control." That was the advice we were given. And and I've been around that. It's like. This is kind of ridiculous. It's a little unnecessary to give a 10%, which is a tithe, is a significant amount of money, no matter what you make, whether it's little or a lot. It's a significant amount. And it can at times in our community, in our culture, in our world, feel a little unnecessary. But I do think that's one of the reasons why it's so beautiful why it's so essential. Because here's one thing I do know. Giving a cup like this to somebody because they complimented you on it is entirely unnecessary, not required. And I certainly don't. And I'm going to nervous complimenting you on anything that's within price range, you know. It's not necessary. But I have a connection now with Bruce that I probably wouldn't have had otherwise. Entirely unnecessary, but I would suggest for deep relationships and what it means to build community, it's entirely necessary. I asked um, uh, Christy, she's actually here today, sorry Christy, I know it's always fun to watch your own video, but I asked Christy to share a little bit. Christy's our treasurer, and that's not why we asked her, the the Fisher family, uh, Christy and Lee are, are, uh, I know, generous people, and I said, would you share a little bit why why you give, and and she... uh, uh, put some thoughts together, and we uh, captured it on video. And uh, so we're going to watch that, hear, uh, hear from someone else other than me, and then I'm going to open up the scriptures, and we'll talk about, uh, we'll try to answer the question, what is a tithe, and what did, where did it come from? Um, and then we'll share communion together after that. So um, let's, uh, let's uh, check out this video. Hi, my name is Christy Fisher. I am the treasurer of Central City Church. I've been involved with Central City since we launched about two and a half years ago. Um, I'm going to talk to you a little bit today about tithing and giving and what it has meant in my life and um, my walk with God. You know, the first thought was that it's a little bit of a sensitive subject. (laughs) Um, I think it probably, um, you know, I'm sure some people have some negative feelings associated with it or maybe just some discomfort. and I just, I guess I just, I just want to share, I want, I, just, I want to make everyone, or have everyone know that um, I'm sharing just my perspective. Um, I, I hope I don't come across as, you know, judgmental or preachy or um, thinking I have it all figured out because I don't. Um, and so it, it does give me a little of an anxiety to think about um, talking about this. Though, though I may be the treasurer of the church, I, it doesn't make me the subject matter expert by any means. <laughs> but um, so I thought about it, and I, I think I really it came up with three um, main, I guess you would call them, benefits of um, giving and tithing throughout my life. The first one being. Tithing has really allowed me to establish a good, a deeper connection with the person or place um, that we're giving or are tithing to. For several years, we uh, gave to one of my friends who was involved in crew. 
Um, and it was something that was, we started early after graduation. Um, one of the first areas where we started developing a discipline of what we, we interpreted as, as tithing. Um, and this really helped me feel connected to her and to her ministry. And um, over the years, our relationship grew, even though we were, she lives across the country. Um, and, you know, through our hectic lives and everything and the chaos, we still have a deep connection and I still care deeply for her and for her work in her ministry. I see the same kind of thing with Central City. I feel um, through our tithing to Central City, um, it's allowed us to feel more connected to the community, um, to Central City's uh, main causes, um, even some of the areas that we might not um, volunteer as actively. We still feel connected to everything. We feel connected to um, Central City's successes and we feel connected to their challenges as well. And I, I really truly believe tithing has allowed us to, uh, or has given us that connection. So another area in our lives uh, that we, we've seen, um, you know, this discipline of tithing um, really be beneficial is that once we, once we established this, this discipline, um, we have, our hearts have been more open to other areas of need. Um, it's almost as, as if we've been given this this freedom, this, um, you know, we, we've, we've set apart an amount in our minds and in our hearts that we know we want to, to give. And so um, it, it gives us that, that easier freedom to give to other areas and causes. Um, sometimes these are um, opportunities that just come up just in normal life and other times we've sought them out. And um, I don't think we necessarily would have done that or really would have been in tune to that had we not first established this discipline. I'm not necessarily sure our society or culture um, is set up in such a way that encourages us to, to look for ways to, to give and to be generous. And so I, I think um, having that um, as a foundation in my life that foundation of giving has um, has really enabled me to to let to kind of let go of the societal norms and just be generous, um, even when sometimes it's hard to be. The third benefit uh, I've seen in my life of giving is that it's really helped me to trust in God. Um, I think originally. Um, I, I think I'm just kind of wired in a certain way where I think through worst case scenario situations, the, the idea of tithing 10% to me, especially really early on uh, when I, we didn't have much, um, felt very scary. Um, it felt like something that if I did would eventually, you know, in my worst case scenario mind, cause my financial ruin. Um, so I had to work with that and I had to wrestle with it. I had to struggle with it um, and it wasn't easy. Um, but as I did, um, I realized that I could trust God in this area. I didn't you know, hit financial ruin, which
um, I think originally, um, I, I think I'm just kind of wired in a certain way where I think through worst case scenario situations, the, the idea of tithing 10% to me, especially really early on uh, when I, we didn't have much, um, felt very scary. Um, it felt like something that if I did would eventually you know, in my worst case scenario mind, cause my financial ruin. Um, so I had to work with that and I had to wrestle with it. I had to struggle with it um, and it wasn't easy. Um, but as I did, um, I realized that I could trust God in this area. I didn't, you know, hit financial ruin, which was what I thought was the worst case. I have been blessed Abundantly, I, I I feel like looking back in my life, I've I've always had enough and more than enough, and I've I trusted God in that area, and He's come through every single time, and because He has, and because I've I've seen so much fruit in this area, I can take that and I can put that into other areas of my life, and I now can trust in God. Uh, I know I I know that I. I have that trust in God in, in other areas that aren't financial. I just, I, I want to emphasize that none of this has been easy. It's still not. It's still an everyday struggle. Um, I still find excuses to not give. I find excuses to not tithe. I, um, it, it's something that I, I have to, it's a, it's a daily walk and it's a daily um, kind of struggle. It's, it's not an easy thing to do. Um, so I, I just, I wanted to give you that, that it's, it's okay to, uh, to not have it perfect at first and to, to really, to struggle and to question, you know, what, what the purpose is. Uh, I think that's a normal, um, it's normal for, um, anyone who's, who's just beginning to tithe for those who have been tithing over the course of some portion of their life. Um, yeah, I hope that some of what I've shared today has um, ins inspired in some way um, just maybe a general, some general thoughts about giving, some, some prayer, some times of reflection, um, and encouraged you to, to think about giving and tithing, and not, and not just in a, the, the context of the literal sense, but in some more ways it can help you. Um, I, I think it can, can certainly help connect. It certainly can help you trust. It certainly can open your heart. And I really truly think that we all as humans are looking for that. We're looking for that connection, for that higher cause, um, for that, to make, to make an imprint. And, and this, I truly think is a step in, in that direction. Technology. Thanks, Christy, for sharing. Um, and uh, a lot of times in those videos, it, it's usually husband and wife. So, Lee, I don't know if I should apologize for leaving you out, or you're welcome. <laughs> I know it's we. 
I, we all, I mean, we don't, I'm telling everyone it's, it's definitely we, and uh, so thanks so much for both of you. Um, I, I want to spend just a little bit of time in Scripture. Uh, honestly, uh, after Christy shared all of those thoughts, uh, I, I, I don't want to just reiterate what she said, but, I mean, honestly, those are like the b- big three big reasons that I've experienced tithing that I've even heard people teach on tithing and significance. And there's Scripture to back up all of those. You know, God talks about uh, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And, and what, he, what he's saying there is, is we often think, like, oh, where my heart is, that's what I'll spend money on. No, Jesus says where you spend money on, that's where your heart's going to end up. And so it's this idea that where you give is actually builds connection, like Christy was saying, and and all of these other thoughts around what it means to open your heart. It's like tithing was in many ways for the New Testament, the training wheels. It's what kind of got you into the door. The debate in the New Testament wasn't whether you should tithe, it's whether tithing was enough. If you go to Acts chapter 2, they gave everything they had. So they went from 10% to 100%. But that 10% is where they started as Jews faithfully practicing this tithe. It was the training wheels that opened their hearts up to being able to be even more generous. And so sometimes we we think tithing is like, oh, this goal that I need to reach. And, and honestly, for many of us, including myself, like tithing isn't something I did when I started attending church or became a Christian. It was something I kind of grew into over time. But that's just the beginning. That's the idea in Scripture and in, in the people of God. And even this sense that I love what she had to say around how it increases our trust in God. It's almost the sense that when we give like our money or our resources to God or to God's community, it almost translates that into a currency we call trust. And that trust you can spend in a lot of other places that you can't spend money, especially in times of difficulty where you've learned to trust God because you've been in this discipline of giving. So I I, I could go on and on about um, some of those thoughts, but instead I want to just spend some time talking about it, um, where it started, and and, uh, we'll just spend some time in Scripture and see what God has to say about it. So the first place I want to start is actually not related to tithing per se, but it, but it, the principle applies to tithing, and it applies to giving above and beyond a tithe as well. It just applies to generosity from the perspective of God. And, and so I'm going to go to First Chronicles. If you have your Bibles with you, if you have your smartphones, I do encourage you to pull it out. I'm not going to have the words on the screen today. Um, I'll read them, and, and you can certainly read along. I'll be reading out of the NIV, I believe. Let me double check. Yep, NIV. And so you can follow along. And, and this is a story about uh, David. And, and David was uh, raising funds. He was doing a capital campaign uh, for the temple, and he's receiving all of these gifts for the temple that's going to be the temple that they use to worship God in. And they bring all of these gifts, and he prays over the gifts and the people in this very kind of sacred moment that's built, you know, it's just really beautiful moment in their people of God. And he offers this prayer. It's in First Chronicles 29, starting in verse uh, 10. And it's really cool. He starts out in very classic David way. It's a psalm. And if you've got the NIV, I'm not sure how it is in other translations, but it's, it's written as a psalm, which means the lines are broken up to, to represent the original Hebrew poetry. Um, that's why the, the, the psalms are kind of written in this sort of like line breaks, all these different line breaks instead of paragraphs, because it's trying to reflect what, what we can in the English in this Hebrew poetry. So he starts out in this poetic psalm, which David wrote a lot of. And he says this, David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Just pause there for a second. This is going to be David's thesis. This is where he's going. All right. So he says, you know, everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. Your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. And then in the Hebrew, 
David's inflection changes at this point. You'll see it reflected in the NIV and probably other translations. It's uh, no longer line breaks, it's paragraphs. He's still praying, but he moves from this place of like poetic praise to this sort of internal reflection, this deep theological thinking. And he has some really profound things to say about giving, which is the foundation of the tithe, which is the foundation of generosity in our faith. Simply this, but who am I? You know, anytime your prayer turns to a question like that, you know you're going somewhere deep, right? But who am I? And who are my people? So he's like, not just me, but all of you. Like, who are we that we should be able to give as generously as this? He raises the question. He's still praying. He's still talking to God. It's sort of a rhetorical question. He says, but, but why are we even able to give generously? He answers it as he's praying. God's kind of speaking. He's speaking to God, but God's kind of speaking to him, right, which happens in our prayers. And he answers the question. He says, everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. This was especially true for the Israelites. They had received the promised land. The original tithe was a tithe of, uh, was often a tithe of, of um, the harvest, uh, the olive oil from the olives and the, the grain. And so they would grow these things and then give a 10%. They would raise cattle on the land and give the best of the herd. And all of these things, whether they're raising cattle or they're growing crops, they're coming, they're coming because they have this land, and land was given to them by God. I mean, that's their story. It's the story of the promised land. God would set aside this land and give it to them. And it was this really deep thought that I'm able to give to you, God, this 10% or the first of the herd because you first gave us the land that we provided it for. So for them, it was very practical. It was tied to the land, which was tied to a gift from God. Like, this is yours already. I think this is something we struggle with. I know it's something I struggle with. I think we have a tendency in our culture, um, it's certainly an American value, to believe that what I have, I earned. You know, what I have is, you know, I, I, this is, I worked really hard for this, um, and so it becomes tricky to say, do I really believe that what I have was first the Lord's and that all I have is God's to begin with? Can I believe that with the way in which we operate? Can, can I even at least believe that my ability to work hard, my ability to breathe, my ability to show up, my ability to offer, to, to learn, to go to college, to earn a degree, whatever it is, that that itself came from God, that ultimately when you boil it down and you cut back all the layers of what we feel like we've earned, it ultimately has to point to someone other than ourselves. We're not very good at that. But if we're going to give, I think we have to get there. He goes on, he says, We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all your ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. And he says, 16, verse 16, Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for your building, for building you a temple for your holy name, comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things have been given willingly and with honest intent. He says, I know, God, that you test the heart. I hope that you can sit with that for a second. We talk about giving, 
when I talk about talking about giving. God's testing my heart and my motivations, and I got to check the fact that, you know, just candidly, my salary comes from the fact that people give. Well, we can name that up front. We don't have to be uncomfortable with that. Other people's, our, all of our staff's salary comes because people choose to give. We'll get to why that's the case, but we have to check our heart, the test. Like, what are we doing up here talking? And why are we talking? And why are we giving? And where is it coming from? And what are our motivations? Because God's testing. He knows your heart. And let me just say that regardless of where your heart is on any issue regarding giving or something else, like God knows your heart and God loves you anyways. And that itself is a beautiful story. We could just say period there. God knows, God knows exactly where we mess up and what's wrong with us. And when we have wake up with, you know, in a bad mood, uh, you know, which is more often than I want to admit, you know. God knows that. And just as Ryan said in his prayer, like God loves us and God is faithful and God is steady anyways. So there's no judgment here. God's grace is good enough for all of us, but there is a challenge and an invitation to test us and, and to ask, like, I need to do some deep reflection. Do I believe that everything I have is a product of my hands and my own self-determinants, or is there room to say that maybe, just maybe, God has been at work in the backgrounds, that my life itself is a gift, so anything my life produces is from that gift as well. And that when I give to God through God's community, I'm really giving back to what belongs to God already. Now, this is David's prayer over, uh, you know, what was essentially a capital campaign. I want to jump back um, to uh, earlier where the tithe was initiated. Um, there's lots of different giving. There's a, the tithe was kind of the basis. It was the 10, it was the first fruits. It was the 10%. It was the best of the cattle. And I want to talk a little bit about, and that's why the tithe exists. It's this reminder it's a reminder that, that what we have is God's already and that it kind of puts our heart in check and it keeps us in a healthy place. Because the reality is, is we're all going to be ruled by something. And, and many of us, especially in our culture, are often ruled by our finances, either the, the worry that they produce or the stress that they produce, the anxiety or the, or the pleasure that they provide. Like There's a certain amount of power that finances have over our life. And one of the ways in which tithing frees us up from that, it gives us a sense of freedom. Yeah, I'm suggesting that giving actually can free us. And this is true, is reminding us that, that it's not our master and that all that we have is God's already. And there's something really beautiful about living life that way. And that's what God invites his people in. So in Deuteronomy, there's a couple places in Deuteronomy, Leviticus, other places that talks about why God would have them give a tithe. Um, but in Deuteronomy chapter... Um, it is chapter 14, starting in verse 22, is some laws, some uh, language in the Old Testament around why the people of God in this new community, in this promised land, would give. And uh, it starts out in Deuteronomy 14, verse 22. And uh, I'm going to read just a, ch a chunk of this, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Because he talks about the tithe, and then he gives us, uh, the scriptures give us, um, three practical use of it. So we can get to the place where it's like, okay, I'm supposed to give back to God. There's freedom there. There's, it's all God's anyways. But then all of this stuff, the, the grain, the olive oil, now mostly you know, our currency isn't, isn't agricultural currency. Um, it's finances. Um, but it, it ends up somewhere. And you've got this pile. And you're like, okay, well, what do we do? Like, we gave it to God. It was this beautiful act of worship. And now what do we do with it? It lays out what to do with the tithes once people give. So starting in verse 22, it says, be sure to set aside a tenth of all your fields uh, that your fields produce each year. And then he says in verse 23, something really interesting. It's the first clue to how these things should be used. When we give something to God, here's the first thing it should be used for. 23, eat the tithe of your grain, new wine, and olive oil. 
and the firstborn of your herds and flocks in the presence of the Lord your God at the place he will choose as a dwelling for his name, so that you may learn to revere the Lord your God always. This is fantastic. He's like, makes this big deal about you have to give all of this stuff to God, and then what do they do with it? They've, like, this act of worship, they've taken 10% of their food, the temp, you know, the best of their herd or whatever, and they've given it to God, and then what do they do? They eat it, which is, implies, like, a certain kind of party, right? So the, so the first use of the tithe was actually for the people who are, it's like, it's one of the ways in which we build community. It was like they come, the harvest time, and they bring their 10%, now they have this massive amount of stuff, and they use all of that stuff to Put, to, put on a big banquet. In fact, he says, like, if you live really far away from this, and it wasn't supposed to happen in your homes. It was a designated place. The idea being that people are coming together. So the first use of the tithes in this passage is for the building up of community. If you're taking notes, if you, you want to remember something, that's the first use. We'll, we could sit, finance team in and, and, and our church, and our membership class, when we look over our church budget, we can ask, like, okay, are we lining up with these Old Testament laws? The first place that money should go or the resources to go is for the building up of community. They take all of this. They go to a central location. He says, if you live really far away from this location, he goes on, and I'm not going to read it. It's verses 24 um, to 26. He says, in verse 26, he says, use, um, sell your first fruits, um, and then, you know, exchange it for silver, and then you can carry that silver a long distance much easier than, you know, all of this stuff, and then use the silver to buy all of the same stuff in the new location, and then, then you can eat. <laughs> then you can gather with everybody and eat. And that's like, this is like the transaction that they're encouraged because they're maybe spread out over the, the kingdom. But the idea being is that they, uh, they sit, they eat there in the presence of the Lord, God, and rejoice. So it's like we give it to God, but God's giving it back to us. We use it for something, but, but God has say how it's being used for, for the building up of community, for the building up of each other. And it's not being kept to our individual sort of fields and our individual houses, but it's coming together, and now we can do it, uh, live together. That's the first use. Verse 27 gives us a second one. And it says, Do not neglect the Levites living in your towns, for they have no allotment or inheritance of their own. Levites were the people who would care for the temple. They were caring for the religious life. Um, if we wanted to be really inappropriate, we could say it's like church staff today. It's not quite how that works, but, you know, clergy, this kind of idea. But they're caring for the spiritual lives of the people of God. And because of the way in which the promised land worked, they didn't get the promised land. They weren't allotted any land, so they didn't have land to grow crops on or to raise cattle in this agricultural culture. So they were living not off the land. They were living off of the 10%. And so this just kind of, you know, this comes up. This is the second place that ties would go towards, is towards the people who are caring for the people of God. So that's where it gets awkward because, you know, we're talking about me and we're talking about our staff and, and Alyssa and all that, that sort of stuff. And, and, and honestly, we belong to, uh, just candidly, we belong to a denomination. We're United Methodists uh, in its current state of things. And, um, but one of the benefits and one of the beautiful things for, for me anyways, and I think it's good for a lot of people is we don't, we don't like set our salaries. Like I don't, I'm not setting our salaries. There's, there's minimums that exist in our community and it's built out of this desire. It's like, no, one of the things that the church needs to do is make sure that it's providing for and a living wage. And this is something we want to make sure that we provide as best we can for anyone who's dedicating a significant amount of time towards the work that we're doing, that they're getting a living wage, that they can have enough that they can be able to live. It's one of the original tents in the Old Testament, and it's certainly still important today. So I, I have no desire to, um, uh, well, I mean, I'd love to be rich. I'd lie to you, friend. 
be real here. But I have no desire to get rich off of the church. But there is this, this biblical mandate to care for the people. So the, 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 the second is, first is for the community of God, and then the Levites. And, uh, and then he goes on. He talks about, um, uh, at the end of three, every three years, bring all the tithes of the Lord's produce and store it in your towns. Um, so now he's talking about not just eating everything because it's too much to eat. You have to store some of it. And then he goes on, 29, so that the Levites who have no allotment or inheritances of their own. And then he says, and the foreigners, the fatherless, and the widows who live in your towns may come and eat and be satisfied so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. So first he says, this is a community building exercise. Second, he says, let's make sure the Levites are taken care of. And third, he says, oh, also, the fatherless, the widows, the immigrant, let's make sure they have enough, too. And I'll just be honest with you. I think the American church, and I'm going to use broad strokes here as an attempt to challenge us. Very good at the first two, right? Very good. Let's make sure our pastor, our staff, I mean, you almost have to to recruit, you know, the best people. You know, you have to offer, you know, reasonable salaries and keep them, you know, all this sort of stuff. And then also, like, significant amount of money on, on us, you know, on Sunday morning experience and our small, you know, like, that's pretty standard. That's a, the question is, uh, we got that down. You know, we, we, that's essential. That's how, we, that's how church exists. But what about the third one? This is the one that really challenges me. And it's challenged me from the very beginning of the creation of this church when we started it, you know, two years ago. It's been a deep challenge because it shows up all the time from the very beginning. It says, it's almost like you, if you did the math, it's like a third of our ties should be going towards people who can't make it on their own. Now, this is crazy. This is also unnecessary and very radical and can get us in all kinds of trouble. But here's the crazy thing. If you go just to the next chapter, this is how serious God is for this. He says, he says something very profound. Verse 4 of chapter 15, he says, however... There need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your God has given you to possess as your inheritance, he will richly bless you if you only fulfill, fully obey the Lord your God and are careful to follow all the commands I give you today. He makes this statement. He says, there, sh- there really should be no poor among you. I mean, if you're, if you're like trusting God and you're growing and, you know, you've got the resources and you're tithing on them, then, and the community of God is using them as God wants, you know, towards one, building community, and let's throw a party, and two, caring for the Levites, but also three, not neglecting the, the fatherless and the widow, and there, then the poverty should be. Now, he goes on to say they're probably going to be poor among you, but it raises a really challenging question to me. If there are poor among us, and friends, let me just tell you that in the city of Columbus, in the central Ohio area, as well as around the world, we have not ended poverty, right? So just spoiler alert, they're still poor amongst us. But if there are not, either one, God hasn't blessed us enough, you know, because maybe, you know, in the, in the Deuteronomy sense of theology, God would bless you based on how well you behaved, and theology is more complicated than that, but that's what we see in Deuteronomy. So God, we're not obeying God enough, so we haven't been blessed. I'm going to suggest that's not the problem. Just going to throw that out there. I feel like God's blessed us pretty well, even me, very blessed. Want for nothing. I won't want for a few things, but. So two things remain. Either one, the people of God aren't tithing, surrendering a 10% back to God, which was God's already. Or, or two, they are, and the community of God's spending it on other things. And I, I'm going to suggest to you today it's probably a little bit of both, isn't it? That's a challenge to me. Uh, that's a challenge for our church. 
And, 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 that, and let me just say that we, we try to do it differently, and I, I think we do in some ways. I think there's still room for improvement. You know, if we take, uh, for example, in our impact report, we took uh, our budget and we pulled out all the numbers that had to do with the local missions we do. And that, but that included salaries and benefits regarding the percentage of time that various staff members and Alyssa, who's half time at, the, at Little Bottoms Free Store and, and the time I spend in local missions and other staff, we pull all those numbers out as well as all the money that we use for these projects. And, and the number comes out to 40%, which, you know, Deuteronomy, I mean, that's better than a third, right? We're doing pretty good. But you know, once again, it's not as easy as that because we are including some salaries. So and there's a sense that we can say, like, we're, we can pat ourselves on the back. It's like we're doing pretty good. Like, we're serving a lot of families. We're, we're caring for the fatherless. There are many people who come to the free store are fatherless, or widows, uh, immigrant. Um, but I do want to just challenge us. This, this is something that's easy to neglect. And I'm saying that as, because the people of Israel go on this is a new problem. The people of Israel go on, and they're pretty good at caring for each other. We just read the prayer of the offering for the temple. They're going to build a temple. They say it's for God. God tells them, no, I don't need a temple. And this is the conversation God's having with David. I don't need a temple. My, you know, earth is my footstool. I don't, I don't need a place to reside. I mean, I created all of this, so what are you thinking? But they're like, we want to give this to you, God. And God says yes. But really, it wasn't for God, was not It's for them. This is a community-building activity. We get really excited. You can, millions and millions and millions of dollars are raised for church buildings all around the world, and they have been since David raised money for the temple. And we say it's for God, but and it is for God. I'm not saying it isn't, but I'm, I am saying that, that it's for us. It's the first one. If we're really honest, it's, it's a way that we build community. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. It's one of the reasons why we tithe. It's one of the reasons why we give above a tithe. We'll, we'll raise money for buildings at some point in this church. Don't misunderstand me. And we're pretty good at the second one. The people of Israel were too. They took care of their priests. I was doing a very brief survey to try to figure out if like, the priests weren't getting paid at some point. I didn't find any occurrences. If you're biblical scholars here maybe know of some examples, I'm sure that has happened because it's happened. it happens today where pastors are severely underpaid and, and are just you know get, barely getting by. And it's, I have some friends who've really struggled in ministry, and, and, and this is a thing. And I'm sure, I'm sure it happened there. But generally speaking, it's not a big issue. But you know what was a big issue? Amongst the people of Israel, and, and still today, neglecting the fatherless, and the widow, and the immigrant. This is one of the big, one of the two things that you see over and over in the prophets. The other one was idols. They loved to worship idols. But the other, the, the other big thing was failing to seek the justice and the care of their neighbors. So I say that to say... All three are important, but we can learn from history and say one of these often gets neglected. So let's not. Let's not neglect it. As we move forward as a church, this is something that we want to spend time with. Um, it's something that we've always been passionate about and, and something that we wrestle with and we need to constantly figure out. And, and, and we're trying to do things differently. We, 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 there's some cool things happening. You know, we have, uh, I mentioned this in other places, you know, we have an individual on, who's a contractor sort of on staff that does homeless outreach who is actually homeless. So this is like an example of like doing things a little differently, trying to do things a little differently. Um, and, and we want to continue to do that. We want to continue to find ways to, to support and empower and provide resources and um, make a difference amongst those who, who experience life in a harder way um, than many others.
and we want to continue to do that. So that's our hope for our church. And I think this summarizes kind of what we're all about. The first one is that we would worship dynamically. We have dynamic worship is one of our values, and, and that's, that's a big part of making sure that we have the resources we need to be able to worship. The other one is intentional relationships, and we want to make sure that our budget reflects the ways in which we're investing in the relationships that we have for each other. And the third one is risk-taking mission, that third piece that we see in Deuteronomy where we're engaging in ways that make a real difference and ta- a tangible difference in the lives of the most vulnerable. So, so as we move forward as a church, that's where we're headed. That's what we want to do. And it's, it's not easy, and it's, it doesn't always, you know, we can't always find the, we're figuring it out. And I think God's doing some amazing things. I, I do want to let you know, though, that that's where we're headed. And one of the things we're going to do this year, and we're not doing it today, we're going to do it in a couple weeks. Um, it's pretty standard. We haven't, we did something kind of like this last year, but the year before we didn't do it at all. So we're kind of moving in this direction. We are going to do this thing called a pledge card. Um, some various people f- makes them uncomfortable. All of this can make us uncomfortable. So we'll, we'll survive, friends. It's fine. The purpose of the pledge card is to, to articulate between you and God what it is you might give in 2020. So right now, uh, we have, uh, we're, we're finishing up the year. We're trying to figure out what 2020 looks like for our church, what we're able to do, and where we're headed. And we're going to invite you into a I am inviting you right now into a season of praying. Uh, I'm not asking you to give to the church. I am asking you to pray about giving to our church. Um, And I think we're a worthy place of your gift and of your tithe. And so I challenge you to wrestle with and pray, and we're going to be giving you resources and have some conversations in the weeks to come and um, around what you might give in 2020 towards what God is doing here and through Central City Church. And if you've never done this before, or if you've done it and you're like, oh, I'm never doing that again, I just don't, it's, I, I just want to say people have had very, the church has not gotten this area right, okay? And um, we're not going to get it right 100% of the time, but we are trying to be transparent about it. And so if you've had a bad experience or a really negative experience or there's some baggage there, I challenge you, not for the sake of us. I feel like God is always taking care of us, uh, and I mean us, like our community and our what our church is trying to accomplish. God is going to take care of us. I'm not challenging you to work through that baggage because we need you. I don't. God doesn't need any of us. God can work in mysterious ways, but because the freedom to give, the freedom to wrestle with and think about and pray about and even commit to giving, is a step towards freedom. I know you're going to, some of you are probably thinking, no, it's not. Like, this is baggage. This is a burden. This is a, this is a, I'm telling you right now, it's a step towards freedom. It's one of the, one of the tools that God gives us to help us become more like we are created to be, because we are created to be generous. And, and I'll just end by saying, we, I operate from a very simple assumption, and I hope you've sensed that in my tone today. We might be uncomfortable talking about tithing, but here's the assumption, and I know it to be true. We actually enjoy being generous. People enjoy giving. And so I'm not here to guilt you or, you know, like, we enjoy it. And when you do it, I know. I know when you've done it and when I do it. Like, it's a, good, it's a life-giving thing. It's not something I regret. It's not something that I'm like, man, you know, I was really tricked into that. No, like, it's, it's a people... And I'm, if you've never, it's an enjoyable 
it's an enjoyable thing. And we like to give. So we like to just talk about it very openly because of that. And so I thank you for allowing us to do that. Um, we're going to transition in our time uh, towards communion. And, and, and friends, we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to do uh, some liturgy. So there's going to be some words on the screen for you to, to say along. And one of the reasons I want to do this today, we don't do a lot of um, liturgy, although uh, I'm very open to it. And I'd like to do it as much as as God leads, um, is this is World Communion Sunday. So all around the world, from all different kinds of traditions, they're going to be using liturgy, not as exactly like this, although millions of Christians will be using this exact same, these ex- saying these exact same words in hundreds of different languages. And then even probably a million more are going to be saying something very similar in hundreds of different languages from different traditions. Um, so all pulls from similar traditions. So I do invite you to recognize that here we are as a church, this little church, this little corner of the world, um, but we have belonged to something where God is moving in powerful ways, and uh, we get to share that communion, that sense of community, because God gave his son. It started with a gift. It started with an act of radical generosity. And I don't think God regrets giving that. I don't think Jesus regrets. He gave more than 10%, 100%, where his body was broken, his blood was shed. So I'm going to invite you. Uh, the words that you'll say together on the screen uh, are, will be in bold, and they should say people beforehand. Christ, our Lord, invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin and seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have failed to be an obedient church. We have not done your will. We have broken your law. We have rebelled against your love. We have not, we have not loved our neighbors, and we have not heard the cry of the needy. Forgive us, we pray. Free us for joyful obedience. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Spend a few moments in silence. Hear the good news. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven.